Half will start when it's touched. Half will check touches it. It begins. Three seconds. Hondo off the go. He's got it with a second. Welcome to another edition of Celtics Beat. Yes, this is me. This is Larry H. Russell out dusting off the mothballs, shaking off the rust, however you want to say it. I'm back. Don't get too used to it, ladies and gentlemen. Stepping in, 4th of July weekend, America's birthday, also known as George Steinbrenner's birthday, also known as my birthday. I mean, can I get you know a little something? I've been around this world a little too long. But here I am Happy hosting birthday. the show, Adam. I'm yeah. over here with you. I'm here with Stash Adam Lowenstein. we got another great show lined up for you. Scott Souza, Metro West Daily News, been covering the Celtics since 2005. Adam, you chatted with Scott a little bit earlier this week. We'll get to that. But uh, how goes it? How was uh, your 4th of July yesterday? Oh, it was fantastic. Always great to spend time with friends and family and see the fireworks, even though they were pushed back a little bit because of all the weather in Massachusetts. Yeah, it certainly wasn't the ideal day yesterday. Uh, it was going to get rough. Of course, we need a little rain around here up in the Boston area. I can't stand looking at all the brown grass that I see around, but uh, it would have been nicer if we got that rain, say, on oh, today or tomorrow, uh, but instead of July 4th. But speaking of just not downtime, we have just the second NBA season, as I like to call it, NBA free agency. The NBA season is now what? It's now a 10-month season. It's pretty much every month of the year except maybe August and then maybe early September, when, right before training camps. Other than that, the NBA Finals, it seemed like it ended, oh, geez, what, five minutes ago? Now we come right out right back into the draft. And now here we are. It's where's LeBron James going? Where's Carmelo Anthony going? And, of course, here in Boston, everybody's talking about the Avery Bradley thing. What should the Celtics do with Rondo? Are they still in it with Kevin Love? We're talking more about basketball now than we did in uh, January and February. When a team kind of struggles and loses quite a few games in a row and barely scrounges across a few wins in a month, you know why you want to look towards the offseason. And this is the reason why, because all the possibilities are there. There are so many things you can talk about from Rajon Rondo being on this team within the next few years to all the different possibilities that the Celtics can go with their targeted free agents and just so many roads that they can go down. There's just a lot of possibilities. Just checking out James Young as well as the rest of the Summer League and Marcus Smart and everything where you have just so many possibilities. The similarities are just astounding to where this team was. Here we are, July 5th. 2014, go right back to July 5th, 2000, or maybe a little before July 5th, before the Ray Allen trade, which was on draft night in 2007. I mean, they were in the exact same spot, a million possibilities. Are they going to go for it? Are they going to sell all their assets? Are they going to push all the chips to one table? They did. They won the championship the next year. Of course, no one really saw that coming. Or were they going to go with a slow rebuild? Were they going to trade Pierce? And people forget them. There were Rumors out there, Pierce for Stromile Swift, Pierce for Corey <laughs> Maggetti, and was it going to be sort of a long rebuild? And now here we are again. Rondo is sort of what Pierce was seven years ago. Is this team going to be able to close the deal for Kevin Love? The rumors are not as hot as they were, oh, this time two weeks ago. But here it is. It's 
it's the same road. It's basically if this team doesn't get Kevin Love, just like as if they didn't get Kevin Garnett seven years ago, are they going to now sell on their veteran in his prime? Are they going to sell on him? And are they going to invest in young players? And if they do that, it's going to be a long couple of years. I mean, last year for fans, it was okay to take. They had a good little run after 20 terrible years. But I don't think fans are really going to accept that for too long. Well, I hope they do, because that way they can keep listening to the show, which airs every Saturday on CLNS Radio at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. But I'm not sure fans, they have people in Boston, sports-wise, too much to do. Red Sox are the Red Sox, even though they are horrible this year. Uh, the Bruins are, are contenders every single year, and the Patriots are contenders every single year. And basketball has always been the fourth sport in this town. I'm not sure if fans, I'm not sure they, it's not that they they can accept it. I'm sure I'm sure they can accept it. I mean, they, they know, I, I'm pretty sure the, even the most casual member of the Boston fan base accepts Ainge as, as a good GM. It's not that they accept it, it's just, they just say, hey, we got other things to do than follow a 35-win basketball team year in and year out. And when it comes down to the Celtics in general, this past season, the 2013-14 season, a packed house much more than most people thought it was going to be. The fans came out. The fans watched a poor product, especially after we saw Jordan Crawford and Courtney Lee get shipped off. It was an interesting situation in which the team was still being rallied around. It was still a weird situation because no one had seen a Celtics lottery team in a long time. And I feel like this might be the year that we're looking at it's the make-or-break year whether people are going to stop watching or continue to watch in a bigger way as far as the Celtics go. Because you're right, there is more to the Boston sports landscape that people can watch. So they can check out, they can enjoy this offseason, and then just turn off their TVs when the Celtics are playing because the Bruins are going to be playing pretty much at the exact same time. Exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know how to, how to really uh, follow that up. But, I mean, you brought up a good point. The fans... They were very committed last year, but the fans accepted the fact that it was going to be a bad team last year. And last year was all about this past draft, which just came and went. So fans were just say, hey, we'll just you know follow this team, we'll get behind them. But they'll get sick and tired of it pretty quickly. I mean, we saw it in the 90s after the Celtics. We're not talking about coming off six good years. In the 90s, the Celtics were good for outside of two years in the late 70s. They were good for 40 years. And uh, fans ducked out pretty quick, I would say, right when they shifted to the new building and the team was loaded up with overpaid veterans and there was just no hope. This is, for the fan base, I agree. It'll be a bit of a make-or-break year, not for the team, but for the fan base. I think that this team next year, and I know you're going to touch on this with Scott when you uh, chatted with him earlier this week, but I think this team next year... There just needs to be improvement. They don't need to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's just not realistic, or even win the division. But you have to see improvement from these young players. It can't be another tank season. That cannot happen. I would have no problem with a 35, 36, 38, 33. I would have no problem with a team winning it anywhere in that range, as long as there's improvement from guys like Sullinger and Olenek, because obviously you want to see the team grow. And more importantly... They need to increase their trade value. I mean, how else are you going to get the Kevin Loves of the world? You're seeing uh, Minnesota saying, 
yeah, these draft picks are great, but we need a proven player. It seems like they're far more interested in the Clay Thompsons of the world as opposed to all these what-if draft picks that the Celtics have. So the Celtics need to, or some of these individual players, they need to improve and they need to contribute to a team effort. And yes, this team, I think next year, while I don't think it sounds realistic, I think they need to quote-unquote challenge for a playoff spot. They need to at least be playing relevant games. I think, you know, end of March where, I mean, they're sort of vaguely in it fighting for the eight seed, even if they are six, seven games under five hundred. I mean, that's actually scary. It is. It's usually good enough in the East every single year to challenge for that final playoff spot. But they need to be competitive every night. They need to be taking these games seriously. And either, A, this team grows sort of like the Sacramento Kings did back in the late 90s, where you sort of saw them getting a little bit better every single year when they had Weber and Vladi Divac, they got better and better every single year. And I think that's what you want to see with the Celtics. The other option is they get better because you want to be able to trade these guys to get the superstar that this team can build around for the next five, six years. And you'd mentioned about the Timberwolves wanting proven players. They really do not do too well in the draft. They did originally draft Trey Burke in the 2013 draft, but that wasn't their pick. That was going to the Jazz. And they ended up getting Gorgie Jang, who could be a player that could fight for an all-star spot in maybe five years, but that's the best thing they could see in the last few years. Derek Williams, Wesley Johnson, Ricky Rubio, and Johnny Flynn. It's not good what you're seeing out of these lottery picks from Minnesota. So when you talk about Minnesota wanting somebody who can make an impact for them, they have Kevin Love, but they want a better player coming back. They want their asking price to be as high as possible and to get something in return, so maybe they're waiting for as long as they can, and maybe the Celtics don't end up being able to use their trade exception, which runs out on July 10th. The $10 million trade exception that people really aren't talking about that much, that I wish could be pushed across, maybe, well, if there's a Rajon Rondo deal as well, we'll see if it's actually brought in in some sort of way with any of these deals. It'll be interesting to follow this love situation. Now, would it be the case of, Minnesota playing this out to the very end, and they're going to have to give them away, not quote-unquote for peanuts, or are they going to create a bigger bidding war? I'm actually kind of going both ways on this. I'm, I'm not sure. I think at the end of the day, I see Love getting dealt. I don't think they hold. I mean, they're not going to hold out. I mean, none of these teams, I think, over the last few years, especially after the quote-unquote LeBron decision four years ago, you've seen the Hornets trade Chris Paul, the Magic trade, Dwight Howard. They're not going to let these guys get the free agency. Love's going to go. Now, would the Celtics have the advantage in the sense that because they're getting closer and closer now to this, de- this not official deadline that the Wolves have set for themselves, but the fact that they're probably going to have to move them, would they have the advantage of the fact that they're going to be, there's a sense of urgency to move them, or are now more teams going to get involved? It's certainly an interesting situation there. When there's smoke, there's fire, especially with these NBA trade rumors. I feel like when there's a big player who's on the cusp being traded, we saw it with Melo a few years ago, and we'll see what happens with the Melo situation. There's a lot of different players out there who seem to be on the cusp of being traded, and... For instance, when we go back to the Celtics' time with Ray Allen, I know he didn't end up being traded, but he ended up leaving the Celtics because he was in all those trade rumors. Kevin Love's going to leave the Timberwolves, whether it's this year or next year, so I feel like the Wolves, in their best plan, would be to get rid of him and get something back. Well, I think they're just living in a fantasy world right now in terms of thinking that they can keep him, either that or they're probably playing hardball with these teams. They didn't think that this was the best draft, 
and they they are just dead set fast on getting a proven player for him. Now, the only quote-unquote proven player that I've seen in these rumors is a player I don't think too highly of. I mean, I think Clay Thompson's a, a good player, and he's a good shooter, but this is my personal opinion. This whole all-star stuff, forget about it. He's not an all-star. He's a good shooter. And then you're hearing these names like Jimmy Butler and Todd Gibson. I guess they're proven players, but I'm what, they're proven good players. They're not anywhere near game changers, and they I think they've plateaued. Even Butler's a little young himself, but I think he's plateaued as something more than a defensive specialist, and, and Gibson's just sort of like the glue guy who can bang the boards. He's, well, once again, not a game changer. He's not going to help a lottery team. So while you did bring up a good point about why the Timberwolves don't want these draft picks because they've whiffed on so many over the years, and that's shame on them for taking two Syracuse players in the lottery, considering how <laughs> pathetic Syracuse players have been going in the NBA. Those were also different administrations, too. So while the draft is this great unknown, there's a much better chance they're going to be able to build up a, a relevant team again through the draft rather than just piling on Clay Thompson's and Todd Gibson's and Jimmy Butler's of the world. That's going to take their team absolutely nowhere. But, of course, that's just us you know, looking at it through the green eye glasses, and I try my best not to look at it through the green eye glasses, but I still don't understand and, and and we're going to get you know more of that with Scott Souza as you chat with him earlier this week but I think obviously the big news here we are nearly 15 minutes in the show we haven't discussed this regarding the Celtics two big things we got Avery Bradley resigned 4 years 32 million Steve Volpeck good guest of the show first reported back I believe on Wednesday and then Cedric Maxwell appeared on, I believe, WEEI on Tuesday and said that Rajon Rondo is looking for a $100 million extension. My thoughts, real quick, yay on Bradley, sort of. I, I, I love his game. I think he's, he's a very effective player. I personally don't think that $8 million is like way overpaid because there's players like Gordon Hayward who are going to command a near-max salary who I don't really care for. But it's more of the fact that Bradley just doesn't stay healthy. And obviously, Rondo, $100 million, I don't think I should even have to get into this. That's a complete nay, considering all the columns that I've written on Rajon Rondo over the years. So what say you on those two topics, Adam? They're both really interesting because that's the guard group, the backcourt that the Celtics wanted the entire time. They barely have been able to play together because of all the different circumstances and just injuries. And the problem is, is that we just didn't know how they play together. And now we're talking about them in two different contract situations, whether Rondo's going to be here in a year or even within the next few months, and with Bradley remaining as a Celtic for at least four more years. I'm happy that he's back because I enjoy the development of players in one place. I'm not a big fan of the bringing in of a whole new team like the Celtics did around the big three almost every year. They had Rondo, they had the big three, and then switched the bench basically the entire way around. Just wasn't a huge fan of that. I don't think Bradley, as a, as a star player, I think I'm closer to a role player, even though he was a volume shooter in the 2013-14 season. I'm happy that a development of a role player is going to continue, and he's such a great defender that even though so much of the burden was put on him last year, he was able to take it and play a solid number of games, especially because even though he did battle with the injuries, play a solid number of games, and continue to fight. As far as Rondo goes, I think I agree with you. I'm not sure he's worth it, especially for a team that most likely is not going to be a contender within the next few years. It just doesn't feel like the Celtics are going to be able to land that veteran in the next year or two, so I think Rondo's gone. Well, I don't think Rondo's worth $100 million, regardless if this team gets Kevin Love or not. Of course, if 
they do trade for Kevin Love, then you'd pretty much have to re-sign Rondo because that's just sort of the package deal in the sense that you know Love would want to would play with another veteran star, even though I personally don't think that Rondo was a star himself. But back to Bradley, you brought up a really good point about him developing. He's a perfect role player. What I what I don't like about these young players developing in these losing environments and the Celtics. I'm not going to say they were in a losing environment last year. Of course, they even though they lost 55 plus games, but they that's when they start to develop bad habits and they play a little outside of themselves. I, mean, I go back to Antoine Walker back in the 90s, who just started chucking three pointers because you know he could. And Bradley is. He is what he is. You know, he's a great defensive guard, great on-ball defender. He's great at cutting to the basket. I actually liked, uh, I believe it was in the last year and a half where he improved as a rebounder. I remember him just, I know he's a guard, but I just remember him just being a terrible rebounder, even in that year during the playoffs where they made the run to the Eastern Conference Finals, and he stepped in before he got hurt and played great. But last year, I thought he got a, he played a little out of his game. He used, you kept looking at the box scores. And you see he take 18 shots, 21 shots, and you go, whoa, this is not Avery Bradley. That's something that you don't want him to have in his mind in the years going forward because that's going to stunt his development as a player, and it's just going to just shift his mind away from what he should really be concentrating on, and he should be saving all of his energy for defense. And those backdoor cuts, and I, I do not want to see him, or even taking those corner threes that I believe. I don't. I know you're the big stats guy, and I'm not, but I, I just remember him being fairly effective at the corner three at times, rather than shots off the you know off the dribble or at worst. I think the worst was when he tried try to go to the basket. I think you just get a shot block all the time. So I I want to see him playing a little more within his game next year, and hopefully that'll be the case, whether they get Kevin Love or another star or not, and they go into the season as a good team or as currently constituted right now, which is not a good team. I still want to see him playing within his game, so that sets it up for you know the future years where hopefully Bradley is on a competitive team, more far more competitive team than this. When Bradley went off a couple of years ago in the 2011-2012 season, he shot more than 60% of his three-pointers from the corner. And he was fantastic. Shot 57%. Yeah, I, 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 have memory, I have memories of that, and it's, I'm happy that you backed me up on that because I have vivid memories of him just surprising me at how he just literally turned into Bruce Bowen overnight with his defense in the corner three. So It, it was amazing. I, his shot this past season was a volume shooter and the problem was that it just couldn't be as high of a percentage. He cut that almost in half. It was a 37% three-point field percentage from that corner three-pointer. So it just was frustrating because he had to take a lot of them. And it was a similar number that he ended up taking this past season as well. But you know that the number is going to go down when he has to attempt so many and has to create his own shot. That's part of why Jeff Green was so disappointing. He didn't take as many shots. It was Avery Bradley who took 20 or so of his career high in attempts, 20 or so games in which he took his career high. It was amazing. By the way, as far as the rebounding goes, great rebounding year. You're absolutely right. By far his best defensive rebounding year, and just by a little bit his best rebounding percentage in general. So you're right. You're definitely seeing that, which is nice because rebounding guards are a nice X factor because that allows you to either get extra possessions on the offensive end, but it also allows you to create new possessions when you push the ball off the court. And I like Bradley's ball handling because he was able to take over when he could 
when he had to. It was unfortunate that he had to do it so much when there wasn't really a, a helpful hand around him for most of the season. We had Jordan Crawford a little bit at the beginning. We had Phil Pressey being able to help out from time to time during the middle of the season. And then Rondo near the end, he had to work with different guards, so he had to take over a little bit of the time. Well, I'm once again even more than ecstatic that you even back me up on these rebounding numbers. I mean, I'm, I'm not even looking at the statistics that I know you have. Right, what I'm sure you have some app on your phone somewhere, Adam, or something. I mean, what do you have? Just your Bible somewhere of basketballreference.com. Because yeah, I, I just remember watching Bradley last year and just being surprised at how much more of an effective rebounder he was as opposed to when he first uh, came in that year, that 2012 year, where he just came absolutely out of nowhere, and we were all talking about how great he was. But I just remember him irritating me at how poor of a rebounder he was. I know he was a guard, but I mean, it, it was just, I mean, you got to get some, you got to get the ball sometimes. But uh, great talk, Adam. Uh, we're going to pick this up a little later. You spoke with Scott Souza a little earlier in the week. Now, it's too bad that we couldn't have Scott on live. Now, I want to get something in here for our audience. Scott, Scott's not on live, not because of the 4th of July weekend, because World Cup soccer actually took priority over this show and as as much as I mean I mean actually I despise soccer and I know everybody <laughs> loves it now I'm, I'm shocked that World Cup soccer took priority over Celtics beat but uh your conversation with Scott we're going to bring this in we'll just jump right back in here in a, in a few minutes after Adam wraps us up with Scott here we have Scott Souza of the Metro West Daily News on with us here on Celtics beat he's been covering the Celtics since 2005 our interview with Scott is brought to you by the Boston Sports Connection. For all of your Boston sports talk, tune in every Tuesday evening on CLNS Radio with CLNS content manager, Sean Backey. Scott, how you been doing? Oh, not too bad. How you guys doing? Eh, doing pretty well. Always great to have you on the program, and it'll be a, a fun interview just talking some Celtics basketball. We have so much going on just this offseason already with the draft, with the offseason, with the free agency. With regard to the roster itself... Where do you see it going as far as filling out? Because last year they really didn't have a full 2013-14 roster as far as the center position. What do you think as far as filling out the roster this offseason? Well, what I don't think they're going to do is I don't think they're going to bring in uh, any veterans on long-term contracts. But it's one thing, in my opinion, to sign a 23-year-old uh, shooting guard that you drafted a couple of years ago and that you really liked to four years. I don't think they're going to be players for some of these veteran guys to go out and, uh, and sign. For instance, they're not going to sign Chris Humphreys for four years and $32 million. I don't think they're at that stage. They've still left themselves the wiggle room that if they could bring in Kevin Love, if they can put together a, a combination of draft picks and players to bring in Kevin Love, then I think they would go in that direction, and I think they still left themselves some wiggle room to, to make a, a, a sharp turn back into that. We're going to contend next year with Kevin Love and Rajon Rondo, simply because they haven't traded Rajon Rondo yet. But Probably, if Kevin Love doesn't come here, uh, then you're looking at a longer-term uh, rebuild situation. You're looking at a situation where you're, you're building on guys like Avery Bradley, like Marcus Smart, uh, some of the younger guys. One thing I think they'll try to do just to make Brad Stevens' life a little bit easier is I do think they'll try to balance out the roster a little bit better this year. Last year, you know, of course, they had the five power forwards who were all six foot seven, six foot eight, all playing basically the same position. Kelly Olynyk a little bit bigger, but again, kind of in that same stretch four scenario that so many of their guys are in. I think they're probably going to try to bring in somebody who's a little bit more of an established defensive center. Uh, maybe to go along with Joel Anthony and try to spread things out a little bit so they don't have as many log jams at positions like they did last year. 
That makes complete sense. We're not seeing any Andrew Bynums coming to the Celtics or Greg Odens, but maybe a Greg Steamsman possibly? Yeah, perhaps uh, you know that could be somebody that they could be interested in. Um, you know, there was a part of me who thought that they might get in uh, if they were going to make a more bold move. They might get in on the the Monroe situation if, if Detroit decided to move on with him. It looks like Detroit may move the other way and decide to keep Monroe and Drummond and kind of move on uh, from Josh Smith. And, and who knows whether that move will have Rajon Rondo implications to it down the road with with Sacramento. But I do think that they have to bring in, I, I don't even know who the exact guy would be, but I think they have to bring in more of a, um, at least somebody who can uh, give the appearance of being an actual center again, rather than play Jared Sellinger and Brandon Bass extensively at that position. That makes complete sense. When looking at the offseason, there's so much unpredictability, but do you think the 2014-15 Celtics will be able to play for the division? Where do you see them falling in the Eastern Conference? I don't think that they're going to contend for the, the division, even though the division, you know, may not be that out of hand. You know, Toronto, Toronto actually turned the corner last year. They had a nice season. Uh, for years, we had heard of Toronto being kind of the next, the heir apparent team in the Atlantic Division. It never really worked out for them. They actually did have a nice little run last year. Uh, not sure what the Brooklyn situation is going to be this year. Obviously, uh, Jason Kidd has made a mess of that situation. They underachieved last year. Paul Pierce may be looking to move on. He never really seemed all that comfortable or. Uh, he never really seemed to enjoy his Brooklyn experience other than a couple of the games where he was able to personally win. To me, it'll be interesting with Brooklyn to see what happens uh, to Kevin Garnett if Paul Pierce does move on. Would Paul Pierce stay in Brooklyn just to, you know, again, ride off into the sunset with Kevin Garnett? Would Paul Pierce take the best situation out there for him to win a championship next year to possibly go home to Los Angeles? And if so, you know, what does that mean for Kevin Garnett's chances of returning? I think Kevin Garnett probably would like to return next year. But uh, he is not a big fan of of change. He wasn't uh, really wasn't had to be talked into accepting the Brooklyn deal last year. If you remember, he had a no trade clause in his contract. He agreed to the trade only at the prodding of Paul Pierce that they could go down to Brooklyn together and win a championship. Uh, now that Brooklyn seems very far from that, I mean, they'll still be a decent team next year with Joe Johnson and Darren Williams and Lopez coming back. But they're certainly not a championship contender. I wonder what that means for Garnett. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see because obviously Garnett had a tough time even leaving Minnesota, and it took a lot of prodding to get him to Boston in the first place. So there's so many things that can go into this offseason just because of all the moving parts when you have restricted free agents all over the place and everything of that sort. With regard to the Celtics fans and their fan base that supported the 2013-14 Celtics to pretty much the end of what was an ugly season at times, would the fans accept a long rebuild? What is your feeling as far as the fans here? You know, I've talked about that quite a bit, and I think some of the fans are going to be disappointed. Listen, it's the second year out from from success that teams start to have trouble with uh, with attendance and ratings. You know, we saw it with the Red Sox around here a couple of years ago. During the Bobby Valentine year, the year the attendance, at least on the surface, even though a lot of people didn't show up to the games, was pretty good because people had bought tickets ahead of time where they hadn't, at least given a lot of thought to getting rid of their tickets when news came down that Bobby Valentine was going to be a coach and maybe the Red Sox weren't going to be quite as good the next year. Same thing last year with the Celtics. A lot of those fans had re-upped those tickets back when Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce were still on the team, and there was at least an apparent appearance that they were going to try to make some sort of a run last year. Now, last year, uh, the place was filled to capacity almost all the nights. I'm not sure that... uh, Everybody in the building necessarily paid for their tickets. There might have been a lot of nieces and nephews in there. There might have been a lot of giveaways to boys and girls clubs in there. But the fact is that people did show up. They did pay to park, which is a premium down there. You can't just, you know, 
drive into a, a free parking lot and, and go to the games. It's, it's still a very expensive uh, proposition, even if you uh, even if you didn't pay full price for your ticket. And they did show up. Five of their last seven games of the season were sellouts. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens this year. I think a lot of fans are looking for some type of a direction. I think fans would get behind the Celtics if they went to a, a real youth movement or, you know, again, around Marcus Smart, around uh, James Young, around Avery Bradley, around Jared Sullinger. I think they'd have a harder time uh, with a team like last year that was kind of an in-between team. And I, I think a lot of people understood what they were doing. Brad Stevens in his first year, you wanted to give him some uh, veterans on that team to be able to hold that locker room, some you know, classy veterans like Gerald Wallace, like Chris Humphreys. You also you know, needed to maintain your salary structure and your flexibility going forward by holding some of those contracts throughout the year. I think next year some of the Celtics fans are going to be uh, eager to embrace a guy like Marcus Smart, who I think is going to be a huge fan favorite around here once people get to know him. But they're also going to be looking for some type of a direction. If it is going to be a long haul, they'll be fine with it, especially the hardcore fans. They just want to know. Uh, that that's going to be the case. They don't want to be, you know, bringing back Jared Bayless and having him start over uh, Marcus Smart, or you know, bringing back Chris Humphreys and having him start over Jared Sullinger or even Kelly Olynyk. I think they want a direction. Oh, absolutely. And one step towards the new direction was the big news, as you mentioned before, Avery Bradley, four years, thirty-two million dollar extension. We had seen your tweets about just the outrage that was surprising about this contract extension. You know, it was a little bit high for what I thought. I thought it was going to fall more in the $7 million range. I thought it might be shorter. What I thought might happen with Avery Bradley, I was pretty, uh, and I've done interviews over the past couple of weeks, been consistent about this. I was pretty confident that he was going to be back in Boston next year. I didn't think any team was going to go over the way over the top and offer him four for 40 uh, or something to that extent. And I thought if, if a team offered him something in the range of three for 24 or three for 21 or even four for 32, uh, the Celtics would just match it. Uh, where I thought it was going to come down, uh, the eight didn't surprise me as much. I'm a little surprised that it went four years. I thought they might try to settle on maybe even a one-year, seven or eight million dollar contract or a two-year contract to kind of give Avery Bradley the chance to prove that maybe he's worth the next time out, you know, a ten or a twelve million dollar deal. I think Avery Bradley feels he's that type of a player. And if you look around the NBA, I mean, you have players like Gordon Hayward. I mean, Gordon Hayward's a nice player. He's going to, he's getting offered max money by Cleveland, fifteen, sixteen million dollars. You have some other guys. You know, Chandler Parsons might be up in that range. So it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that Avery Bradley might be a ten million dollar player in a couple of years. You know, to me, I was expecting something more along the lines of either two for fifteen or you know maybe three for for twenty four. I, I know the thirty two sounds really high, but you know you knew it was going to be six or seven million dollars, and you knew it was going to be for one, two, or three years. To me, I'm stunned that there's that much reaction to re-signing your own 23-year-old guy. I mean, again, it's not like going out and giving Chris Humphreys four years and $32 million, you know, closing it on 30, okay, by the time the Celtics get better, he's going to be, you know, past his prime and, and giving a veteran that much. This is one of those guys that a rebuilding team is building around. And if you draft a 19-year-old guy and you like a 19-year-old guy, you're going to have to make this type of decision on him when he's 23 years old. I mean, it's going to be the case... You know, Marcus Smart is going to be 24 years old when you have to make a similar decision on him. James Young is going to be 22 years old when you have to make that decision. You're going to have to make a decision on Jared Sullinger in a couple of years. Uh, that's kind of the the backfire part of, of uh, drafting a guy who's that young, but it's also a situation where, you know, you're paying for a guy who's coming into his prime as opposed to, you know, an older veteran who a rebuilding team wouldn't want to pay. 
uh, because you're not necessarily going to win within the next couple of years. I think they see Avery Bradley as, as one of the rebuilding cores of this team. When you build through the draft, we haven't seen too many teams succeed, with the exception of Thunder, I feel like, as far as jumping in within a few years after the draft and having most of the pieces remaining, well, with the exception of Harden. So when we bring it back to the Celtics and look at the Jeff Green signing from a few years ago, $9 million per year over four years, 36 total, does this contract feel similar to that one where there's a little uncertainty and then, really, can he show it? But it's still a longer contract, as you had mentioned. Yeah, I think it's a little different from the Jeff Green contract just because uh, they were still in a position where they were looking to, I think, contend for a championship when they signed Jeff Green. He wound up dismantling the team down the road. But I thought, I think they felt at that time that they were still in a position to you know, contend for at least the Eastern Conference Finals. And then coming out of it, he might be a bridge player to the future. And technically, he still is a bridge player to the future, although I wouldn't be surprised if he's a player that they look to move on from uh, if they decide to go much younger. Uh, not that Jeff Green's an older player, but he's, he's older than Avery Bradley. I just, uh, again, I go back to the fact that I think Avery Bradley, especially in the case that Rajon Rondo might not be here long term, you know, they see him as this team's starting shooting guard uh, going forward for a few years. Uh, they like his defense. They like his mentality for the game. They like his coachability. Uh, they just like him as a player. Uh, he hasn't been able to stay fully healthy. Had he had been able to stay fully healthy, he might have been looking at four for 40. He might have been looking at 10 or $12 million at this point. Um, I just think they, they don't think that $8 million for your starting shooting guard is, is that outlandish. And, again, he's, he's 23. Uh, he posted career numbers almost across the board. I thought his defense fell off a little bit at times this year when maybe he was looking – to prove he could be a little bit more of an offensive player, and that could have been a contract issue there. Maybe his offensive numbers will take a little bit of a step back next year if he can refocus a little bit more uh, on being a defense-first player, even though I'm sure that in his mind he continued to do that. But I think from an outside point of view, you would say that perhaps his defense did slip towards the end of the year. But you know, if you look at it, a lot of things slip towards the end of the year when you have a team that's obviously not going to make the playoffs. And he did uh, struggle with that ankle injury that it took a, a while to come back from. I just think he's a, to them, he's a foundation player. Now, you can disagree whether, you know, a, a six foot three shooting guard who's doesn't have a, a, an elite outside shot, even though his shot's getting better, who's, who's kind of known more for his defense than he is for his, for his shooting, and he certainly kind of floundered a little bit as a, as a point guard when they tried him there. You know, maybe that shouldn't be a foundation piece. Maybe that's the type of piece that you can always pick up. The Celtics clearly don't feel that way, and they, they work towards bringing him back. Uh, because, they, again, they feel like he's a, a foundation guy for them. And you had mentioned a little bit of Rajon Rondo that you snuck in there. Do you not see him alongside Avery Bradley in the backcourt? Is it going to be the Marcus Spart-Bradley experience going forward since Rondo might want that $100 million extension? I think you could be looking at that eventually. Listen, with Rajon Rondo, my take on him has always been that uh, I think he makes very good teams great. I think if he was on the Indiana Pacers this year, they may have gone uh, through the Miami Heat. If he was on the Houston Rockets this year, they may have gone all the way to the Western Conference Finals. They may have gone to the NBA Finals. I don't think he's a guy who makes a young or a mediocre team any better. And in fact, I think in some ways, and this is going to sound strange, he makes it worse. Because, and if you follow me on this, you know, he's the type of guy who is not suited to take the last shot. But with him out on the court with a young team, they're looking for him to be the man, and that's just not his game. He is a facilitator first. Uh, he's an excellent facilitator. He might be the best facilitator in all of the NBA, other than perhaps Chris Paul. 
but you saw in many situations this year, and granted he was coming off the knee injury, uh, but he did have you know a full half season there where at the end of games he wasn't sure what to do because, again, his teammates are looking for him to take the shot. If he takes the shot, a lot of times he's not a great shooter. He's probably going to miss the shot, but if he looks to facilitate teammates and, and you have guys out there who, who are expecting Rondo to take the shot, then they're not ready for, for his feeds at the end of the game. And you have situations where you know he's throwing up 23-foot three-pointers at the end of games and they're clanging off the rim. Or he's dribbling, you know, you probably remember that game where he dribbled out the clock because it was kind of unclear what he was going to do. Uh, I think it's a tough situation for them going forward with him with such a young team. I don't think it necessarily benefits the Celtics or it benefits Rajon Rondo long term. Because Rajon Rondo, face it, I think he likes it in Boston. I think he would like to be the guy that they build around here and are able to get back to a championship contender. But he also likes being an NBA superstar. He likes being on Good Morning America. He likes being on... Uh, he likes being in GQ magazine. He likes to be a known guy. Well, you're not going to necessarily be the known guy on a team that's not playing on TNT on Thursday nights, and that could be the Celtics situation going forward. I don't think that they're going to do anything with Rajon Rondo until the Kevin Love situation is settled, because as long as Kevin Love is still out there, they still have that tantalizing thing that they can potentially bring in another all-star Pair him with Rondo. They've still got, good, you know, Avery Bradley's still a great role player. Marcus Smart early in his career could be a great role player. It doesn't necessarily push those guys to the side, but you can put those guys together, maybe one other piece, and you can get right back into the playoff mix. You can get right back into relevancy. But once the Kevin Love thing is decided, and I think it will be decided either over the course of the summer or early in the year, then the next guy on that list, the teams are going to come knocking for is, is Rajon Rondo. And at that point, it might be best for both sides to move on. It's really going to be intriguing off season, and we can't wait to see where the dominoes fall because, as of right now, we just don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to guess you lean towards the Rondo being traded after Love goes somewhere, right? If that's that, that would be the place that most people would lean. Yeah, I think so. Right now, you have teams like Chicago and Houston and Dallas that are angling for Carmelo Anthony and LeBron James. Once those guys get settled, those other teams are going to get desperate because they've set themselves up. To, to make, you know, to bring in Wick's word, fireworks. But there are teams that are on the doorstep that want that one big piece that's going to put them over the top. Some of those teams still think it's going to be LeBron James or it's going to be Carmelo Anthony. When those teams lose out on those players, then the offers maybe go up for Kevin Love uh, in the Minnesota Timberwolves. And, you know, on the flip side of that, I think the Celtics lost one of their best assets in terms of going for Kevin Love once the draft expired, and that was that number six overall pick. You know, now going forward, you don't know what the picks are going to be. If you trade them to the Celtics, their pick might not be a lottery pick next year. You don't know those Nets picks continue to be kind of, you know, boomer bust picks. You can't quantify them right now. Last week, you could quantify that the Celtics had the number six pick. You pretty much knew that you were going to get either a Marcus Smart or a Julius Randle or a Noah Vonley, possibly an Aaron Gordon in that pick in the draft. Once the draft goes by then one of the Celtics' biggest trade assets, again, is, is gone by the board, and they have that much harder time convincing Minnesota that their future draft picks are, are worth Kevin Love if Minnesota didn't think that the number six pick in this year's deep draft was worth Kevin Love. And then, of course, you, you get into who would be involved in that trade, whether they have interest in Kelly Olenek or Jared Sellinger, and so on and so on. Well, I guess the Celtics wish Mike Zarin's wheel 
proposal for the draft would have come sooner rather than later for this situation. It's a crazy offseason. We're really looking forward to it, really looking forward to all that has to be done. Scott Souza, Metro West Daily News, and WickedLocal.com. You can follow Scott on Twitter at Scott underscore Souza, S-O-U-Z-A. Thank you very much, Scott. Uh, thank you very much for having me on, guys. appreciate it. All right, Adam. I mean, that was great stuff. I usually don't, I'm not just stroking it. I'm just so impressed with Scott, and you know, usually we, and Scott's been around actually now a long time. I tell you, the people that cover the Celtics in this town, you know, obviously we we all talk about the glory days of the old Boston Globe Sports section with Bob Ryan and Will McDonough, but the Celtics still have some just incredible talent covering the team. I mean, you start right off the bat. I think Baxter Holmes just coming in here about a year ago. Obviously, Steve Bolpets now the grizzly old veteran. But Scott, uh, he's Metro West Daily News, he's been covering the team since 2005, uh, same year since I've gotten season tickets. But, I mean, he, Scott knows his stuff, Adam, and, and that was, uh, I mean, that was something else there. Oh, absolutely. I enjoyed speaking with him. It was fantastic to be able just to kick back and relax because I asked him a question. He just gives me so much information on that topic along with every surrounding topic, so I knew what the whole landscape was and understood where we're going with this entire Celtics team. The first thing that came to mind for me right near the end of the interview was the whole idea that there's really two roads that the Celtics can go on, two general roads, which have many little pieces and parts to them. But the idea is, do the Celtics land a veteran like Kevin Love? Do they land a star who will not be like the Jeff Green, not going to be able to do anything and be able to lead this team? Is somebody be able to be a running mate with Rondo and be able to take this team to the playoffs next year? Or is it going to be a third or fourth place Atlantic Division team, which Scott did mention earlier in the, in the interview, maybe they just don't or aren't able to, and that's where they actually end up landing. We talked about this at the very beginning of the show. Is This is exactly where this team was seven years ago, pretty much on this date, maybe a few weeks before, <laughs> a few weeks before the Ray Allen trade is. And the roads are so extreme. It's either complete rebuild, atom bomb, hydrogen <laughs> bomb, whatever you want to say at Berlin 1945 or whatever, or this team has an immediate renaissance overnight and the garden is roaring again every Wednesday, Friday nights throughout the cold winters in Boston. It's incredible, just the extreme that it, it can go to. But uh, I love what he talked about with Avery Bradley in terms of just this outrage that he got four years and $32 million. I, I mean, listen, I mean, was Bradley overpaid? Uh, yeah, but if, if you're going to overpay somebody, you overpay your 23-year-old first-round draft choice that has proven that he can be a good player. In fact, he's a very good player. He just... He can't stay healthy, and honestly, that 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 bothers me because I hate how people, you know, just sort of throw things. And well, if he's healthy, like I remember Mark Pryor for the, I mean, we could use a million <laughs> examples. Mark Pryor, oh, Mark Pryor was healthy. I mean, yeah, but he's he was never healthy. So, but I mean, that if you're going to overpay someone, you you overpay your former first round draft choice who's proven that he can be a very good player in this league at 23 years old especially when you're a building team. You don't overpay, as he said, a Chris Humphreys or these quick-fix veteran guys as the Celtics did in the 90s when they were overpaying the Sherman Douglases, Dominique Wilkins, Purvis Ellison, I don't want to go, uh, Isaiah McDaniel, we can go on all day. It was very ugly. D. Brown. You don't want to be overpaying, uh, overpaying those guys. And, and I think the gamble, it was, it's not that big of a gamble. It's a four-year deal. This is coming from the same person that 
went ballistic when the Celtics gave out four years, $40 million to Jeff Green. But Jeff Green, till that point, had proven nothing in the league, despite what some knucklehead wants to tell me what he did in Oklahoma City. He did nothing but just puff his stats up on a terrible Oklahoma City team, and as soon as they got rid of him, they got better. Bradley has proven he can be a very good player on a very good team, as we saw in 2012. We've seen that. And he's 23. Jeff Green, I think, was like 25, 26, something like that, when they paid him his money, and he had done nothing on a good team at all. And that was four years, $40 million. This is four years, $32 million. We already mentioned Gordon Hayward. There's talk about a near-max deal with Cleveland, as Scott mentioned. I mean, that, that is putrid to me. I, I personally think Gordon Hayward, he's another guy. Hasn't proven anything on a good team. Hasn't really proven much on a bad team. His efficiency numbers are just a little bit better than average. And he doesn't come with the defense that Avery Bradley does. And yes, I'm actually making an argument that I believe that Avery Bradley is better on a good team than Gordon Hayward, and he's significantly cheaper. I love what he discussed with Bradley. I don't think there should be an outrage. Was he a little overpaid? Yes, but guess what? I mean, in the NBA, you want to sign free agents. They're all going to be, quote-unquote, a little overpaid to a lot overpaid. You're rarely going to get a steal unless you get one of these bizarre San Antonio Spurs veterans where they just pluck out of the D-week out of nowhere and plug them in, and they're ravaging 12 points and five assists and, you know, hitting key shots in playoff games. What's really interesting is that Scott has mentioned it as now the great Avery Bradley debate. It's hilarious. It's crazy that Celtics Nation has been split or at least been outraged just at the contract itself. He has said it's unwarranted outrage. Maybe if he was healthier, it could have been $12 million. Maybe if he missed more games, it could have been lower. There is so much to this Avery Bradley situation because there's way too much we don't know about him. First of all, we don't even know if he's even close to his peak value yet or peak level of play. So I feel like there's so much that can be talked about with Avery Bradley. And we even mentioned earlier in the show just about how great the rebounding has been recently, how great he's developing even small parts of his game that you didn't really see. And that was a great mention by you just seeing the rebounding because I didn't even know before I looked up the stats about that because I'm happy that he's helping these smaller parts that people aren't really noticing when they're talking about his value. People are only looking at him as just the volume shooter that had to take over because he just didn't have any other key cogs around him. So as far as Bradley goes forward, I like the development. Hopefully by around 27 when he's hitting his peak, he is a 15 points per game guy, and he's stopping the big player as far as maybe a point guard on the other team who usually dominates the basketball. It's a gamble, but it's a sensible gamble. And, I mean, I, I hate it's using just a very blasé term and, and providing blasé analysis, which is something that we do not do here on Celtics <laughs> Beat. But I, I don't think it just it was just this terrible thing that the Celtics did. I think that there's just there's more things to complain about. I, I just find it interesting. You know, I was watching the special edition of the Garden Report on the CLNS uh, YouTube channel, which you can go to at youtube.com slash CLNS Radio where Nick, Jelso, Ty Ray, and Jared Weiss were outside the Renaissance Hotel after their draft party last week, and they were talking about, well, I think this certainly spells, uh, I think it was, uh, I don't want to throw Nick out of the bus here because he, you know, we just, he's the man here at the <laughs> network, but I usually, well, I think this is definitely the end of Avery Bradley, and then all of a sudden, four days later up, Avery Bradley resigned four years, uh, $32 million. Nick wasn't the only one who thought this. In fact, this was like the, the belief of 90% of the media and, and, and the fan base that said, well, you know, I mean, they already have Rondo. The, excuse me, the drafting of Marcus Smart is, is what I'm referring to here. 
The drafting of Marcus Smart, I mean, this certainly probably means that Avery Bradley's on his way out the door, and just like that, he's a restricted free agent. It's funny, very rarely, too, Adam, do you see restricted free agents just re-up with their team as soon as possible. Usually they go out, they test the market, they get a deal, and it's funny, we had Alex Kennedy on the show back in April or, or March, and he mentioned how much he spoke with Avery Bradley earlier in the year, how much Avery Bradley loves Boston, and usually you hear that. I mean, that's just nonsense. All like, I love this place, I want to stay here, and, and they go out and they just sign somewhere else. So, but Alex was—he sounded. I mean, he—he's like, no, listen, Avery was very honest. He considers Boston his home, and it sounds like Bradley never really went out and played the market and let the Celtics match. It was just, yeah, you know, we're going to be doing four years, thirty-two million dollars, and this was after they couldn't get an extension last. October, I believe, and bang, it was just out of nowhere. It was it was uh, Celtics re-signed Avery Bradley, so it was very interesting, and, and it just played it, that was just so quick. It was interesting because maybe he wasn't getting offers that they were expecting. It's possible that the Celtics just jumped on it, and they were the best offer that he got out of the first grouping. It's possible that being able to strike before everything gets all messed up and everything where there's all these different offer sheets out there. The Celtics just wanted to get this off the table. So there's different, many possibilities, but they know they have them all set and ready for four years. And now the Celtics can go on to bigger and better things and try to figure out how else they want to fill out the roster. Because now it's a pretty low amount of cap space as far as the other parts of the team, if everything else stays stable and there's no other big trades. There really isn't that much, with the exception of the trade exception. Uh, I guess pun unintended there. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the whole idea is that we're looking at a team that might be going into the season as a pretty guard-heavy lineup and maybe signing a big man that Scott was mentioning he wants a defensive-minded big man to go along with Joel Anthony because that would help them at least fill out a roster a little bit better than last year. We might be seeing pretty much the roster as we head into summer league here. This goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of the show in the fact that this season needs to be taken a little more seriously than mm-hmm. last season was. Uh, they, they 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 need to fill out their roster far better than they did last year because last year, as we know, I guess it really you know it was about the draft, uh, but they need to take this. Uh, season far more seriously they do need to find a real center and we mentioned Joel Anthony's name he's only we all know why not only is he's only he's only on the team because of that contract he's only on the league because of that contract real quickly though I really want to get to something that Scott said about Rajon Rondo about how he hurts a mediocre lottery team which is what the 2015 Boston Celtics have written all over them as a permanent marker uh and 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 he mentioned how when Rondo was on the court with a young team his teammates looked to him to be the man and we all know Rondo can't be the man. That's a great point that Scott brought up, and, and I know you agree with him, but doesn't that sort of say, doesn't that just sort of give it away that Rondo cannot be a star player on a championship team? He can't be a 1A, 1B, or even a 2 on a championship team, even if they had Kevin Love, because he can't be the man. And I, it's funny, Scott said he could be good on a great team. Yeah, as the fourth guy, which is what he was in 2008, but you can't have a fourth guy making $100 million. Well, I mean, doesn't that just say that Rondo, he can't carry a good team to or a poor team to 35 wins? That tells it all there, right? Am I not right? With regard to the lottery team, you're exactly correct. With regard to a championship team, it depends on the, who the 1A player is. If it's LeBron James, I'm saying that's not a good Rajon Rondo mesh. But if it's Carmelo Anthony who takes over and takes over the basketball with regard to shooting, unlike LeBron's type of 
spreading the basketball and finding the open man. We remember the Ira Nubel mess quite a few years ago when people were unhappy that he's passing to an unknown guy. Wasn't it Danielle Marshall? I'm going to correct you, Danielle Marshall, game two, right, against Detroit in the corner three? I know there was an Ira Nubel game in there, but I think you're right. The Danielle Marshall one is more important. That was a more important game. I remember Ira Nubel being, at least for some regular season games. I'm sorry about that. You're correct. Danielle Marshall. So the whole idea, I feel like, becomes who is the player that Rondo's meshed with? Is he sent to a ball club that has a Stephen Curry who's going to be able to hit those shots? Is he going to be the second player on a team that has a scoring-dominated player unlike... And I'm just going to go back to LeBron. I just don't think he would mesh well with him, but I think he would mesh well with a lot of other great scorers. Maybe like a Dirk uh, Nowitzki in Dallas. I think there's just a lot of places where he can go and be a strong player. Maybe Houston with James Harden. There's a lot of options where... If they have a great score alongside him, I don't think they have to worry about him being the second banana or third banana. I think he's fine on those types of teams. That's why I think he's a coveted player, but I don't know if his value is as high as it could be. That's where it really is a catch-22. When is his value the highest? Is there going to be a bidding war? And really, is there one? The Celtics really don't allow a lot to be talked about. I See, that's what really bothers me about Rondo as a player, because he plays one way for 41 minutes of the game. And because he doesn't hit his free throws at the end of the games and he doesn't attack the basket, he plays a completely different way in the last five minutes of games. And the Celtics, when they were good, even when they had, you know, Garnett, Pierce, and Allen at the, you know, the back tail of their career. So we're talking like starting around 2010-ish up until 2012 and even that 2013 season without, without Allen because Ronda would play one guy the entire first four-fifths of the game and then pass it off to Pierce at the end of games, and Rondo would just do nothing. And how can you be a star player when you can't be an effective player at the end of games? As we all, you know, the old saying about basketball to the casual basketball fan was, uh, "Why all you need to do is just watch the last two minutes of a basketball game. Everything else is is irrelevant." And to an extent, that's kind of true, right? I mean, the, the, it's usually the last two minutes is the only thing that matters. So, I mean, that's just that's really what sort of bothers me about Rondo, and and I believe Scott, you know, when he, I believe Scott was sort of hitting on that unintentionally by saying that he can't make a mediocre team better because young players look to him to take over games when it matters. When Rondo quote really can't take over games when it matters. Yes, he's had these great individual games in the playoffs, but I'm talking about ball in his hands. 45 seconds left or anywhere between the final two minutes, and it's just move out the way, guys. I got it. I'm going to the hole. I'm going to take three guys with me and kick it out and find an open shooter, or I'm going to get to the basket, score, and or draw a foul. He doesn't do that because, uh, I don't know, He just I, maybe it's because he's afraid to go to the free throw line. I don't know. I, it's not me to, for me to analyze it and say why he doesn't do it. I just know that he doesn't do that. Yeah, I feel like... With Rondo on a mediocre team, which we're thinking that this team might be, he's going to be shipped off. I just don't think he's going to be on this team for long if they don't get anybody because he has not developed his shot to the point in which he can carry a team. I did have the pleasure of watching a few games there where he put together just a terrific streak of hitting a three-point shot and hit you know new career highs and made for a few games this se- this past season and was hitting 50% of his three-pointers for a little bit there, I feel like, for a nice little stretch, and then brought it way back down and still finished with a solid 
year compared to his previous years from downtown, but you're right. It's just not to the point in which he can carry a team, and that's the reason. He can't shoot that well, and that might be the problem with this Celtics team again this year. Jeff Green is not that great of a shooter. He's solid, and he was great when he had a nice little stretch there with the All-Stars and Hall of Famers around him, but it wasn't so good this past year. Even though he did play every game and fought hard, it was great that he did that, especially playing every game since his surgery, but when it comes back to Rondo, he just can't do it for this type of team entering the 2014-15 season. Well said. <laughs> I mean, I, I, once again, I, I hate to just sort of just, you know, just sort of tack on with you as, as we like to have just some nice, solid debate on the show, but I really can't say it any better. But, hey, after all this, we managed to talk about nothing but the Celtics this entire show, Adam. So we guess what? We got five minutes to talk about the NBA. Yes, it's that time around the NBA in five. The music is playing. There it is. Uh, we got Paul Pierce, sign and trade of Los Angeles Clippers to reunite with Doc Rivers. Uh, tell me you did not see that one coming. <laughs> After this whole Jason Kidd saga, which has been hilarious, by the way, just seeing everything that has to do with the Milwaukee Bucks, the Nets, Billy King. Ah, so funny. Yeah, Pierce is gone, and then what Scott was talking about was what happens to KG? We don't know what's going to happen with regard to where this situation unfolds. Maybe KG's not in the NBA next year if Paul Pierce is in Los Angeles reunited with Doc. Maybe KG goes with him. Hopefully, we're seeing both those guys next year. That's what I want. I just want them both to stay in the league and then possibly Pierce back in Boston in the next few years. I've always seen Pierce finishing his career with the Clippers. Uh, that just Ooh. I've just always, always seen that. Garnett, if you ask what my opinion, I see him just taking some sort of buyout. I'm granted he's got 12 million reasons to play, <laughs> even if it's for a bad team. But I also don't see him playing for a bad team, which I think the Nets are going to be next year. I'm not talking about they're going to be a 20-win team, but they have you know, 40, 41 writ- wins written all over them. So I see him kind of taking a buy out there and maybe get eight or nine of that $12 million and just piecing out and... Yes, I see Pierce and Los Angeles Clippers. Very interesting. And then we stay in the Eastern Conference, in the Atlantic Division. Kyle Lowry reportedly agreed to a four-year, $48 million contract to stay with the Toronto Raptors. What say you about this situation? Remember, I, over the past year, it was Toronto was always trying to trade Kyle Lowry. And then I, I read a great piece from Adrian Wojnarowski. That goes without said. I mean, whatever he writes just seems to be like Ernest, Ernest Hemingway of the NBA. <laughs> about just uh, Lowry and what he meant to the city of Toronto. Uh, so it, it doesn't surprise me at all. It's a great resigning. I think Toronto, uh, we met, I mentioned the Sacramento Kings earlier in the show, how they just sort of got a little bit better every single year before they were just about ready to break through where they nearly won that championship. Uh, Toronto could be that team where they just incrementally get better. Lowry's a good veteran. I believe he's been on an all-star team. I think and it was only a few years ago where there was discussion when he was on Houston that he was the best point guard in the NBA after Chris Paul, even better than Rajon Rondo. So no Miami Heat for Kyle Lowry. Great resigning by the Toronto Raptors. Four years, $48 million. That's not that much money for a good veteran borderline all-star point guard. Best win share player on the Raptors during the 2013-14 season. Led them to the division victory. Led them to the first round, unfortunately, in the Game 7 loss to the Nets. But that was just a bad situation for them in their first playoff appearance in 2008. I still see him being on the trade block, just because it's a friendly contract. Still see him being on the, uh, on the block, just because he can ruffle little feathers, you know, wherever he is. And that's where I see something happening with him. But... 
good situation for Toronto going forward. Dwayne Casey has improved the team every year that he's been there as far as the number of wins. Great to see that he's doing that for them. Well, I mean, I, I hate how people bring this up, but uh, unrestricted free agent Carmel Anthony being courted by many teams. Adam, where's this clown going to end up? <laughs> so I guess you wouldn't want him on the Celtics. Actually, uh, I would. <laughs> you know, as much as I don't like him, yeah, probably as a person, and he's probably a buffoon, and he's... Of course you'd like him. You'd love him here. Exactly. I. You know what? The Celtics get Kevin Love, they get Melo. But if they can't, then yeah, I guess they can't do anything like that. The sign trade is always a possibility for him to get the most amount of money. That's why most likely I'm seeing uh, Chicago, just because of the way that he's going to the city a lot. He's doing the a lot of you know just work as far as finding a home, finding what he wants to do there. I feel like Chicago is the place that he's going to land, just because he can make such an impact there. I got a buddy out in Los Angeles who's very close with CAA agents. I talked with him back in February. Haven't talked with him since. He just now this was back in February. He told me he's talked with all of his his friends down there, and they told him then back then Melo ain't going anywhere. Now I haven't talked with him since February. I don't have a deal, but I'll stick with it. I, I, I'm in the minority. I think he's going back to New York. Very interesting. And we're going to stay in New York. We have another news story coming out of there. All After all this Jason Kidd saga, Lionel Hollins will become the next coach of the Brooklyn Nets. He coached the Memphis Grizzlies to the 2013 Western Conference Finals. What do you think about this situation with Lionel Hollins with the Nets? Uh, the, the Nets are becoming like the George Steinbrenner Yankees, right? I mean, we got <laughs> Bob Lemon and Billy Martin. Just, I mean, they see what, this is what their third head coach in the last... Ten months, uh, not impressed. I know he had a good little run there with the with the Grizzlies, but you can't just keep shuffling coaches in and out. Oh, absolutely. Avery Johnson, PJ Colissimo, Jason Kidd, and now Lionel Hollins. This is going to be weird. I think they're going to do all right. Souza was talking about just the way that they were playing well, and I feel like they might not win the division, but they'll be a solid team. Mm. Well. Uh, no, I, I disagree with that, but we'll end it right there on that. Another edition of Around the NBA in Five, and uh, another edition, sadly, of Celtics Beat has come and gone, Adam. Once again, great show. Good to be back on the show. Don't get used to it, folks. I'm probably going to be ducking out for a little bit, but you're going to see I know plenty of stats, Adam. Uh, Adam, I love toasting with you. It's always great, and hope everybody had a great July 4th, and hope everybody enjoys a nice little summer warmth coming up here. Well, we, we, I tell you what, we deserve it. I can't stand these people complaining about the heat now, considering <laughs> how horrific the spring was. I don't even mind the winter, because I, I accept winters being cold. The spring was awful. But that's going to do it for another edition of uh, Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Carlos Andres Mesa, Ostravex, and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore beat, and you can like Celtics beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. We'd like to thank our guest, Scott Souza of the Metro West Daily News, for our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, for myself, the, uh, the executive producer and one of the hosts of today's show, and obviously my co-host, Adam. Great to be with you. I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Saturday. 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Celtics Beat, heard exclusively on CLNS Radio.